Good evening. Welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is A Way Forward Part 4. And if I had a subtitle, which I don't, it would be probably something like Under New Management or something about serving the Lord because it's about the switch uh, between serving Pharaoh and serving the Lord that we read about in the um, Old Testament. And just to set this up a little bit, uh, hope I don't shock you at the very outset. That would be a shame. But, um, uh, okay, you've got the children of Israel, if you've heard of them, and they're in Egypt in the Old Testament, way back in, the, in Genesis and Exodus. There they are in, in the land of Egypt, and they've become enslaved, and the Lord wants to set them free. And so he contacts Moses and says, Moses, you need to be the leader and go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so they have this series of exchanges where Moses goes in and tells Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh quite often says, I will, but then he changes his mind and says, no, they can't go. In the language, it says he hardens his heart. And, um, and finally, it goes until the process uh, takes Pharaoh's own firstborn son and all these other firstborn, not only the people, but of the animals. And finally, that hurts enough that Pharaoh actually drives them out of the land, then regrets it, and then tries to attack them and come after them. So my shocking question is, if the Lord wanted to free the people from the land of Egypt, here's a plan. Uh, kill Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. Then you don't even have to leave. Take over the land, right? Problem solved. Like, why go through all this rigmarole? Why this dialogue with Pharaoh? Why this long conversation of, oh, Pharaoh, let my people go, and then he changes his mind. They change, you know, what's going on with all that? Why not just, uh, they wouldn't even have to go to the Holy Land. Then they could just stay there, uh, like either if the Lord sort of magically gave them all weapons or something like that, or just had a disease wipe out the Egyptians or something like that. You know, like why, what's the point of, of all that? And to me, what I'm hoping to argue tonight is that it's about the process whereby we come under new management, where we stop serving something uh, self-centered and infernal and start to serve the Lord under new management. So if you'd like to go on on that journey, good friends, let's do that. Let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight, Lord, as we open the pages of your Word. Please teach us about what it is that you are offering us and how we can be free. Amen. Such a pleasure to be with you all, all you people who are here in the room. Those of you who are out there online sending love to you, to people on the phone from Canada, people in the audio. A great pleasure to be with you talking about this. And uh, in case you missed the first three episodes of A Way Forward and you don't have to have seen those to get something out of tonight, but I've been thinking about how both for the individual and for the whole world and any given culture, how do you move from being in a bad state to being in a good state? The core of this really is that uh, we're promised this heaven on earth that heaven is going to descend at the end of Revelation. It talks about heaven coming down onto earth. 
Well, how does that happen? Because earth is not so heavenly now that we can't stand the saccharine sweetness of it. You know, it, it's, it's not quite at that level of heavenliness right at the moment, I would submit. And so how do we get from where we are to a more heavenly condition? And uh, this time we're talking about, well, it takes a shift. We need to place ourselves under new management. And I think the Exodus story tells us how that happens. I actually want to start in uh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, all the way to the left there, in chapter 15. Uh, the Exodus is Moses, and Moses is leading the children of Israel, and they all get out. But long, long before that, uh, there was the patriarch Abram. And it fascinates me that in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord talks to Abram. Now, uh, Abram is actually worried in this chapter about the fact that he has no descendants. All these great things have been promised to him about how many descendants he's going to have, this amazing thing is going to happen. And he still has no children. And he's, I think he's getting to be 99 years old or something like that and still has no children. So he's really wondering about this. And then uh, the Lord comes to him. And let's just look at verses 13 and 14, what the Lord says to Abram. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. 400 years. Your descendants will be afflicted for 400 years. And what he's talking about is that Abram's son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, uh, then Jacob is the father of the, the children of Israel. His name changed to Israel. And... Uh, Jacob goes down to Egypt. So even quite a, you know, three or four generations after Abram is when this 400 years is going to start. So he's talking about events that are going to be more than 400 years in the future. And what does he say? He's referring to the Egyptians and how they will enslave the Israelites. And it refers to that nation again in verse 14. What does he say? And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Aha. Now, that's a very brief little summary. But what do we read there? The nation that they serve, they'll be slaves. And the nation that they serve, the Lord is going to judge. He's going to judge that nation. And afterward, they'll come out with great uh, possessions. Uh, if you remember the story, as the children of Israel leave, they... Uh, ask for silver and gold and jewelry and all kinds of things from the Egyptians, and the Egyptians give it to them as they leave. So this, this does come true in the story later on. But part of what is striking here is that this prophecy, by some people's reckoning, it happens 430, and maybe even more than that, years before... Wow, so from 430 years out, the Lord already knew... They're going to be enslaved. I'll judge that nation. You'll get out. You'll be enriched by it. Uh, and just so hold that thought in your head. Let's turn to the right and go to Exodus chapter 3. Now, Exodus is named for this exit, you know, uh, that the children of Israel do from the land of Egypt. And in chapter 3, uh, the Lord appears to Moses. We've covered this a number of times in Bible study, so I'll skip some of the 
core details. Well, I do, yeah, maybe we should read that. Let's go ahead. Let's read verses 1 to 8 there in chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses, at this time in the story, doesn't have the slightest idea that he's going to lead the people. He's just a shepherd. He's out there with the flock. No idea what's about to happen. Go on. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Yes, so Moses was kind of fascinated, and God appeared to him, spoke to him, and said he was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And uh, look at verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Yes, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the idea that that desire to leave is an important thing in our hearts. Verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Yes, okay. And interesting language that the Lord says He's coming down to do this. He's coming down to deliver them. Okay, part of what I want you to notice there is, did Moses go to God? Did Moses call the meeting? No. He was minding his own business, taking care of the sheep, and all of a sudden, God, see, Moses didn't even know it was on his schedule. All of a sudden, God's talking to him by the burning bush and telling him, oh, here's what we're doing. So part of my point is that God is an active party in this. First verse we read, was about how God knew from over four centuries ahead of time that this event was going to occur. And here you see the fact that he's starting the action. I've heard the people. I'm going to come down. I'm going to take you to the Holy Land. So uh, the Lord is in charge of this process. And look at verses 17 to 22. Then the shepherds came and drove... What's Exodus 3, verse 17? 17. Okay, good. Good, good. Good. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's right. To a land flowing with milk and honey. That is what you said, yes. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. That's Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, okay. You'll come to him and you'll say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Let's hit pause there for just a second because this is their request. When they go to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. And yet the request, as far as I could tell, looking through this, this, uh, these scriptures several times before class, uh, there's never anything more than a three-day journey. He, his ask he never asks, you need to let my people go forever. All he ever asks 
is just three days off. That's all he asked for. Just three days off to go out in the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord. And then listen to this in verse 19. What does the Lord say? But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. Wow. So not only is he predicting, he predicted from four centuries ahead of time that this event was going to happen. But now at the very beginning of his conversation with Moses, he's saying, I'm telling you what, Pharaoh is not going to do it. He's not going to comply. I'm telling you right now, that's how it happens. Go on. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. Wow. So I've got a plan for how to deal with Pharaoh. He's going to resist. I'm going to hit him with a whole lot of wonders, and he will eventually let you go. This is someone who's in charge. This is someone who knows what's going on, right? Go on. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Yes, that was what he had prophesied. In fact, it was interesting to me that that was one of the prophecies from four centuries ahead, was that you're going to be enriched in this, pro like he already knew, you're going to be enriched in this process. Okay, now we're, gonna, we're going through a number of chapters, and I'm just picking a few verses here and there to try to see certain key points. But, um, so in chapter 4, let's look at verses 21 to 23. Uh, the Lord is still talking to Moses. Moses, in the meanwhile, has said that he doesn't know how people will trust him, how will they listen to him, and, and all that. And uh, so, look at 21 to 23. In chapter 4. In chapter 4. Okay. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt... See that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. The Lord has been showing him how to do, uh, you know, miracles and things like that. And then the Lord says, But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Again, a prediction of, I'm telling you, he's going to be difficult about this. I'm telling you ahead of time. This is how it's going to go. Then you shall Listen say, to this. Mm. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Okay, now listen to that for a minute. So the Lord is, is thus says the Lord, Israel, say to Pharaoh, Israel is my son. Israel is my firstborn. So what comes next? So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Oh, and why let him go? To serve. Yes, him. that he may serve me. This is all about under new management. Who are you going to serve? Are you serving Pharaoh? You're serving the Lord. The whole idea, it may only be three days journey, but it's to do a sacrifice to the Lord. And let my son go. He deals with all the people as one individual. Let my son go that he may serve me. And... But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your, son, your firstborn. Wow. Nothing has happened yet. They haven't even had conversation one. Not one word has passed between Moses and Pharaoh, and the Lord has already predicted this is where the process is going to end. You need to say to him, this is my firstborn, and you need to let him go, or I'm going to take your firstborn. And that's how it ends. You know. So the Lord knows exactly what's happening. 
and where the process is going to end. And this is before word one has been exchanged. He's never even said, let my people go yet. Okay, let's read five verses one and two, because now Moses and Aaron, Aaron is Moses' older brother, and he's his sort of spokesperson. And they go in together and they finally, okay, here it goes. Now the action gets started. They're going to go in and tell Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's right. And Pharaoh's response is what? And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Yes. Okay. So verse 3. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and That's sacrifice it. to the Lord our God. That's all they're asking for, three days off of slavery. Is it too much to ask? Just three days to go off and do a sacrifice. That's all they're asking for. And then what do they say? And sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So interestingly, the initial threat is not you are going to get hit. <laughs> it's that we are going to get hit if we don't do this. And that's a problem for you because we're this massive body of slaves for you. There was um, like 600,000 men, uh, according to the numbers that the Bible gives. Uh, so it's a massive workforce, a free workforce. I mean, he has to feed them and everything, but uh, it's a huge uh, labor force for him. And... Uh, Okay, then Pharaoh's response is to make things much, much worse for the uh, Israelites, where they, the whole job gets much harder, and uh, the people are very, very upset, and Moses finally has to talk to the Lord a little bit about this in 5, verse 23. For, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Yes, this process has been an entire failure. <laughs> we went in there and we said, let my people go. He didn't let us go and he doubled our workload. So this is going really badly. And how does the Lord respond? Like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Look at 6 verse 1. What does he say? Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Mm. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Oh, that set the bar even higher. Not only will he let them go, he will drive them out. He will drive them out of the land. Okay, now look at verses 6 and 7 in Exodus chapter 6 there. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will rescue you from their bondage, and mm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Judgments is an interesting word. Didn't he already say in one of those other passages, he, in fact, that very first one in Genesis 15, says, I'm going to judge that nation. These are judgments. And he says he's doing this uh, because of Pharaoh. Look what I will do to Pharaoh. Go on. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's right. And so part of this process is that when we're through with this process, you'll know that I'm the Lord and I have the power to free you from the Egyptians. That's what we're doing here. 
uh, I enjoy, we won't, don't have to read it, but verses 9 to 12, uh, the children of Israel don't listen to Moses. And, uh, and so the Lord tells him to go speak to Pharaoh uh, to let the people go. And Moses replies to the Lord in verse 12 that the children of Israel don't listen to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? <laughs> like, I can't even, can't even get my own people to listen to me, let alone the king of Egypt. You know, why, why should he listen to me? Um, but the process continues. Look at chapter 7, verses 1 to 5 there. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Wow. Now, if I'm Moses, when you start this process, the king of Egypt, Egypt was a very mighty, advanced culture. You know, they had a knowledge of correspondences, they had the amazing pyramids and all sorts of technologies and things. And, uh, and Moses is just a shepherd. <laughs> he's, he grew up as part of the Egyptian royal household, but he's been in exile from that. Um, and so, wow, the Lord is saying, I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh and your brother like a prophet. Go on. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And let me tell you how that's going to go. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. By great what? Judgments. Judgments. These are going to be judgments. Interesting. They're not just miracles or something. They're judgments. And, and the look at another upshot of it in verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Oh, a moment ago, the purpose of this was that the Israelites would know that the Lord is God. But it's also for the Egyptians. And he said, this is, this is for Pharaoh. This is for the Egyptians. See, this starts to get to an answer to the question I raised earlier. Why not just kill all the Egyptians and have the people stay there or walk out or whatever? Why all this parley-vous? Well, it's for the Egyptians. It's for Pharaoh. This is not only a process to benefit the children of Israel. It's also uh, for Pharaoh. Uh, look at verse 17 in that same chapter 7. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. Yeah, that's how you know that he's the Lord. So there's a repeated emphasis. I haven't even picked out all those passages, but there's a repeated emphasis that the result of this process will be that not only will the children of Israel know the Lord, but the Egyptians and Pharaoh will know the Lord too. Pharaoh started out saying, I don't know this Lord. I don't know who you're talking about. Never heard of him. Uh, but I, there's no reason for me to give up my slaves because of some nameless nobody. I'm a CEO of a very important enterprise here. Why would I do that? It would be ridiculous for my business, my bottom line. You're hurting me. So go away. And look at 8 verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Why would he? Why? That they may, that they serve, may serve me. me. That's right. There again, this is under new management, serve the Lord. And verse 2. 
But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Yeah. So I know you're likely to not do it. I've got the next thing. I'm going to hit you with frogs. So who's in charge of this process? Is Pharaoh in charge of this process? Pharaoh doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't know what's coming next. He has no clue about what's going on here. And the Lord already knew four centuries in advance how this thing was going to turn out. That's what we see here, right, right here in the literal sense of Scripture. Look at verses 18 to 19. You see, the Egyptians had magicians too, so they tried to do the same things that the Israelites did. Look at verses 18 and 19 down there. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Ah, so for a while there, the magicians were keeping up with what Moses was doing, but now Moses has pulled away and uh, they can't keep up with it. And even they are suffering from this. And the people are really suffering. These, we're, we aren't reading about the particular plagues, but they're horrible what happens to people. And what do the magicians say? Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Wow. The magicians recognize where this is coming from. I know what this, like we can't do this. this. This is above our pay grade. This is the finger of God. That's what's going on here. And how did Pharaoh react? But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. That's right. He paid no attention. Okay. And uh, look at, uh, so he says, let my people go in verse 20, 21. There, what's that saying? He says, if or you else, won't let them go, that's right. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And the, here's a new development in verse 22. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell. Those are the Israelites. That no swarms of flies shall be there. And what would the purpose of that be? In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. That's right. Go on. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. Yeah. So in charge of the whole process. I'm going to do this. It's going to affect you. It won't affect this particular territory. This is going to occur tomorrow. Boom. You know. Just totally in charge of the whole process. All right. And look at 25 to 27. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. Oh, go sacrifice your God where? In the land. In the land, oh, that not means... in the wilderness. Like, oh. go sacrifice to your God in the land. right here. So he's relenting part way. Right? Go on. Uh-huh. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. There was a problem about the sacrifice thing, and the Egyptians didn't like their sacrifices, so we'd be doing an abomination in Egypt. Really, you want us to do an abomination right here? That doesn't work, does it? If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? Yes. Verse 27. We, we will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. Okay, let's read 28 just because it's fun. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. 
intercede for me. <laughs> right. So he, he caves a little bit, and then he changes his mind, and then he hardens his heart, and he keeps going back and forth, but it's wearing him down a little bit. Uh, but he said, you know, okay, go ahead, sacrifice, but do it here. And listen to Moses' tone here. Moses is getting stronger and stronger. He doesn't say, oh, please let us go three days. He says, we will go three days' journey into the, you know, that's what we're doing. Because I think he's become clear, hey, the Lord is in charge of this process, and Pharaoh knows nothing about it. You know, he's just totally bobbing in the wind, you know, bobbing on the waves or something. We'll go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord. And uh, so uh, there's quite a power shift that's going on in here as they're coming under new management. Uh, Look at chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. This is about another... uh, We're skipping all the fun parts, but I wanted to highlight this relationship. Look at 4 and 5. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Mm. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. That's right. And in verse 6, you find it, yep, on the next day all the cattle in Egypt died and none of the cattle of the Israelites died. So it's just completely precise. It's scheduled. Uh, The Lord knows exactly what's going on. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. That they may serve me. That's right. Go on. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants and on your people. Why? Why would you do that? That you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. That's what this is all about. If the Lord just wanted to set the children of Israel free, he could have just... I mean, it would go against his divine mercy, but just kill all the Egyptians. But no, they are supposed to know. They are supposed to know the Lord out of this process. It's an important part of it. Uh, Look at verses 16 and 17. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up. Now the Lord is saying this to Pharaoh. I've raised you up. Go on. Hmm. That I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. (laughs) You, my friend, are working for me. When we started this dialogue, you didn't know my name. I predicted you hundreds of years in advance. And you seem to know nothing about this. But I'm telling you, you work for me, and here's why I put you in the position you currently occupy. You know? Mm. Okay. What's that next verse there? As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Mm, isn't that amazing? All right. Good, good, good. That's 9, 16, 17. And look at uh, verse 20. There was another curse that was going to come on the cattle, this curse of hail. But there was a division even amongst the Egyptians. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. 21. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Ah, you see what's happening? Some of the Egyptians are getting the hang of this thing. The Lord, hey, we're going to bring down this hail. It's going to be bad. And so those who are catching on, this is the word of the Lord. 
all they got to do is take their cattle inside. Like, what would have been the point if the Lord just killed all those people? They're responding to the Lord, you know? Uh, but there's another group that, though they pay no attention, they leave the servants and the cattle out in the field. Whoops, oh, they get hit with the hail. Okay, and how about 29 and 30 in that same... So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail. Why not? That you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Mm. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. So even Moses started out like he wasn't sure who God was and who should I say is calling and all this stuff. And now he's so certain that he's not even waiting for the Lord to say, Moses, no, I I know. (laughs) We've seen a pattern here. You're not going to do it. I know you're not going to do it. You know, you'll not yet fear the Lord. So listen to that. Isn't that what the process is designed to try to do? It's trying to get Pharaoh to fear the Lord, but he's not doing it. And Moses knows he's not yet going to give in. Look at 10 verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. Oh, okay. So what did Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh in verse 3? So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? (laughs) Let my people go that they may serve me. That's right. Go on. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. That's right. So how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? This whole process is trying to get Pharaoh to be humble, and he's refusing to take the medicine. That's why the Lord doesn't just sort of kill Pharaoh and all the Egyptians at the beginning of the story and let the people go. It's because the Lord is trying to get turned Pharaoh around, trying to turn the Egyptians around as well. And some of them are responding, but Pharaoh is not responding. Uh, look at verse 7. What happens in verse 7? Who who says this? This is chapter 10. 10, sorry. Verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Wow, what's happening there? Pharaoh's own servants. It's not Moses now. Pharaoh's own servants are going to him and saying, How long? Are you out of your mind? You know, look, there's a simple solution here. We let the people go. The madness stops. Come on, you know. Let them go that they may serve the Lord their God. Look at that. Even Pharaoh's servants know this is what it's all about. These people need to serve the Lord. Let them go do it. Let them go be under new management. And uh, do you not know yet that Egypt is destroyed? The country was being destroyed. We haven't read about the plagues, but the country is being destroyed by these things, one after another, and they're pleading with them. Like, don't you care? Don't you care about us? Don't you care about the country? And uh, so 
Pharaoh responds by saying in verse 8, go serve the Lord. But who is going exactly? And he wants just the men to go and not the women and children. And then later he says, okay, you can have the men and the women and the children, but not the animals. And then he said, now, look, we've got to sacrifice the animals. That's the whole point. You know, so they have this to and fro. And Pharaoh keeps changing his tune. And he keeps saying more and more these days that he's going to let them go. But then he keeps not doing it. And look in verse 23. There's another thing. This is where thick darkness came on Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Wow. So again, the Lord is making a separation between the children of Israel and the, uh, the Egyptians. 11 verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh. And now, on wait a minute. Egypt. This is the words of someone who knows, who had a schedule 400 years ahead of time knew the whole process, roll out the frogs, here come the lice, now we're doing the boils, here comes the hail, you know, and he's, there's one more scheduled for, you know, there's one more plague that I'm bringing upon you and upon Egypt. And then what does he say? Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. He's going to drive you out. And so then he says, hey, borrow from your neighbors and get that money that we've been reading about. Get all those valuables. And then look at, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Wow. So M Moses is larger than life now. I mean, how could you not be? He's going in there and saying one thing after this is going to happen tomorrow. Then, you know, and he's pleading with him, stop it, stop it. Okay, he's able to shut it off. Then the next thing happens. And so the people are well favored by the Egyptians. The Egyptians favor the Israelites right now. And Moses is larger than life. Fascinating. None of that would have happened if you just killed off the Egyptians and the people stayed there or they walked out with, with no, you know, hindrance. So he was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's own servants. They're liking Moses. He, he's amazing to them. And in the sight of the people. And this is when the firstborn thing goes down. A very, very powerful story. And uh, so all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh. When did he say it? He said it back in chapter 4. This is where it's going to end. It's going to go to the firstborn, I'm telling you. That's where it's going to go. And uh, so all these firstborns will die throughout the whole land, including animals. But, verse 7, But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Mm, and look at verse 9. And all these your servants shall oh, come... Oh, that's 8, but go sorry, ahead. Sorry, but the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So he's still saying, Pharaoh's not going to listen. I'm, I'm just telling you, but, but uh, my wonders will be multiplied as a result. So Moses is getting larger than life. I was very intrigued, too, that in chapter 12, before they haven't even left yet. They're still in Egypt. They're still technically Pharaoh's slaves. And yet the Lord is saying to them, 
we're going to do this Passover thing. Here's exactly how to do it. You'll do it every year in celebration of this. Here's how to eat the whole thing. This is how the whole thing works. Do this, do that, do the other thing. And so they're already getting instructions from the new boss, even though they haven't left the old boss yet. You know, very interesting in this sort of shift of coming under new management, so to speak. Uh, 12... 29 to 33. Let's have a look at that. And hmm. it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. Hmm. And how did Pharaoh react? So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. Hmm. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was, not a, there was not a house where there was not one dead. Now, this was very, very painful and hard story and this tremendous grief. But they've been warned many, many times. You know, there was one plague, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You've had nine chances to get out of this moment. And it was his own stubborn. So the Lord didn't just come in and play that card first. Uh, this was the last phase of the process as he said it would be. And what does Pharaoh do? Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night. By night. He gets them up in the night. And said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. That's the key to it all. Go serve the Lord, as you said, and... Also, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. <laughs> so he realizes yeah. where the power is. And just on your way out the door, could you give me a blessing? I'm not feeling so good right now, you know? He, he's, he's really uh, been affected by all this. And then verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people, that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. We shall all be dead. Yeah, it had gone to that point. It's hit so close to home now. It's such an intense process. Uh, look at 13, verse 21. We're just skipping around here a little bit. Uh, but they just started. They haven't even let, left Egypt yet. They're just starting to journey, but what happens in verse 21? And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the army still exist. They're still in Egypt, but the Lord is already leading them. He's already given them this Passover that they'll celebrate every year, and now he's leading them every single step of the way. So... The Lord makes it a seem, it's not like, well, leave the land of Egypt and then see if you can find the Holy Land. And if you get there, I will meet you there. You know, that's not how the Lord does it. He's going to take them step by step. In fact, he started the whole thing from that first conversation with Moses, didn't he? he he's just been in charge of the entire process. Look at 14 verse 4. Even after this, when he's driven them out, What's going to happen? Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. Why? That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. 
Wow. Okay. And look down in verse uh, 18. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Yeah, it's very important to the Lord that the Egyptians know. It's not just about the Israelites or Moses knowing who he is. And they started out not even knowing. But not only have they found out, but the Egyptians and Pharaoh have found out as well. And that's an important element of this story. And uh, look at 25, verse 25. You may know the story. There's the wall of water, and then the Egyptians come behind them. They walk across on dry land, and they're riding their chariots down in there to try to get them to stop the children of Israel from leaving because uh, they su suddenly have this wonderful moment uh, in verse 5, 14, verse 5, where they, the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this that we let Israel go from serving us? Why, we made a huge mistake. You know, why, why did we do that? So they send out the armies to try to get them. And look at verse 25. I like this little detail. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us, free, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. For the first time, this is the first hint of anything. You've had some people put their cattle away when they heard the prediction and others didn't. But this is the first time the Egyptians are scared of the Israelites. And the Egyptians are running away from the Israelites because they finally pieced it together that the Lord is on the Israelites' side. They've had a super abundance of evidence, but they finally put it together. And look at verse 27. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. Yes, they were fleeing into it. So hmm. the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Right, and that's how they came to their end. And then I just want to read 15, verse 18, that they sing this song when they get on the other side. The Israelites are, are happy and relieved to be safe and everything and see their enemies taken care of. And in 15, verse 18, as part of this song, what do they say? The Lord shall reign forever and ever. This was not a short-term situation. And I think they've realized this. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the three days. Remind me to say something about the three days. And look at verse 26. Mm. And said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Then what? What good thing will I get if I do everything the Lord said? I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. Mm. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. Wow. So the people are warned that the diseases that were put on the Egyptians are perfectly possible for the Israelites too. They've been protected, but they've got to keep following the commandments or else they're going to get the same plagues that affect, afflicted the Egyptians because the Lord is the one who heals. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's talk about this a little bit. I want to flip over something for those of you who are getting the video. Not that it's much to write home about. Never really is, is it, friends? So there's a written list. 
and on the left I've got Pharaoh, and on the right I've got the Lord, and I'll read a cross or something under Pharaoh and then something under the Lord. I see Pharaoh in this depiction that we've just read. Pharaoh is reactive. The Lord is active. You know, right? Pharaoh doesn't, and Pharaoh's all over the map. I get that in the second point. Mercurial slash unreliable. Pharaoh, well, okay, let them go. And we didn't read it, but he gets to the point where he even says, I've sinned, I've sinned, uh, you know, uh, just do me one favor. He gets sort of pathetic. And so he, he's all over the map. He's unreliable. Is the Lord steady? Did he change his tune at any time? No, he called this from four centuries out. This is how this thing is going to go. And he just, and when he says, well, let's change the rules. How about it's just you sacrifice in the land? And Moses doesn't say, okay, I'll work with you. All right, it's parley-vous. Give some, take some. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Okay. No, he says, we will go out into the wilderness, and, and that's how this is going to work. Pharaoh, I want to argue from this story that he loves dominance. He loves being in control. He doesn't want to give up that army of 600,000 slaves that he's got. You know, he likes that dominance. The Lord, on the other hand, is powerful, but he's fair. He, he's got, it's a very different kind of power than Pharaoh's power that I see here. Uh, how about knowledge? Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord. The Lord does know Pharaoh. <laughs> he's got his number. I mean, he says from the beginning, this is how Pharaoh is going to react. I'm telling you, he will react this way. We'll have to do it again. It's going to go all the way to the firstborn because I know Pharaoh, he's not going to stop halfway. He's going to go all the way with this process. The Lord knows Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't even know who the Lord is. Lord who? I don't know who that is. That's who you're talking about. Which of these people, my friends, would you rather serve? That's a real question. Now, look at Pharaoh. What about his intellect? Uh, we, got, we covered that. Doesn't know the Lord. That's how, look at his heart. He does not love the Israelites. If you love the Israelites, would you double their workload? Just as I said, let my people, we're only asking for three days off. I'll double your workload. He doesn't care about the Israelites. They're, they're, they might as well be animals to him. They're, they're just something that's useful, but he's got no love for them. But I would submit he also doesn't value his own country or his own people. I might even go so far as to submit that he doesn't even care if he has daughters. He doesn't care about them. He doesn't even care about his other sons. Only thing he cares about is that firstborn son. That's the only thing you can identify at any point and, and being in charge. I want to be in charge. I want to keep those slaves and I care about my firstborn son. That, that's about it. And when you think about a, a, a monarchy, a, he's the king, he's a pharaoh, chances are that firstborn son is going to become the next pharaoh, might even have his name or what, you know, like that's a little image of himself, you know. That's who he loves. That's the, he only values his firstborn. And why do I say he doesn't value his country? His own servants came to him and say, the, the country is destroyed, you know. And he won't stop because he actually, you know, he, do, he actually doesn't care about the country. He doesn't care about the people. And, and another one about the intellect, 
He doesn't know what is next. <laughs> I don't, uh, uh, the only way he finds out anything is that Moses tells him, tomorrow, about this time, lice. You know, uh, that's all he knows. He knows nothing about what's happening. He, he's just clueless through this whole process. And the Lord predicts it all centuries in advance and an unwavering, accurate impression of what's going to happen. All right, let's talk a little bit about these three days. Why it seems a little, is a little deceptive? It doesn't say, look, I want you to release these people forever. Give it up. We're not going to be your slaves anymore. They never, ever, ever say that, that I can see in there. Everything is just, we just want three days off. All we're at, is it a big request? Long weekend. All I'm talking about is three days off to go sacrifice in the wilderness. Serve the God. Otherwise, something bad might happen to us. Just let us go. Is your whole building program going to shut down if we take three days off here? Just give us three days off. Now, why is Pharaoh upset about that? I would submit that it's because he knows you are never going to get them back in the box. He knows he's been mistreating those people. Are they really going to come? Okay, three days are up. Okay, let's go back to Egypt, put on our slavery again. He knows because he knows he's mistreating and abusing those people. He knows full well three days off equals never again. They're gone. It's over. You know, <laughs> so even though the Lord never, Moses never presents it that way, never says that's what's at stake, Pharaoh knows that's what's at stake. They, once they get three days out in the wilderness to serve their God, are they going to turn around and come right? You know, they're, not, they're not coming back. There's no, there's no suggestion in this story that they're going to come back. Um, all right. Uh, so... Part of the amazing thing here, and I don't think I talked about this side of it, but the Lord not only loves the Israelites, He loves the Israelites, protects them, says you'll be in the light when the others are in the dark, you won't have the flies, you know, the good things will happen to you. But I would submit He is good to the Egyptians. He's good to Pharaoh. I mean, okay, you could, all right, well, you know, the firstborn died and, and, and all that stuff. You say, well, that, that wasn't good. Uh, but there were all kinds of warnings before that point. And again and again and again, the text says why this process goes on is because the Lord wants the Egyptians to know that He is the Lord. And I think it doesn't state it straight out, except that one little hint that we saw. Why do you refuse to humble yourself? You know, this process was designed to humble Pharaoh. He was supposed to get humble through this process and say, Lord, you're right. I've been very fortunate just to have these slaves working for me all this time. It's made me amazing, you know, super, super wealthy. I appreciate it. Thank you for the loan of them. They're really yours. Let them go. You know, he doesn't do the humble thing at any point in here. That's another little clue that this dominance and ego, you know, has something to do with what Pharaoh means. I don't know if any of you have ever spent an idle hour reading Swedenborg's fine works, good friends. But if you have, you may have seen the word goodness. You may have seen the word truth. You may have seen the word evil. You may have seen the word falsity. And I was thinking about that in connection with this because the Lord 
is good. The goodness and truth. The Lord is good. Like these are quite destructive plagues, but they aren't killing the people. It's only until you get that last one that the firstborn die. Uh, they, they do some harm. They hurt the economy and so on. Uh, but the Lord is still, he's trying to bring them. And only because they won't listen. You know, only if that first conversation had gone well, none of this would have happened. But because they refused that first time and doubled the labor, okay, then we got to shift into step one, step two, step three. Here's how you do it. And it escalates, you know, to try to get him to turn it around. And they don't uh, turn it around. The Lord is also possesses a truth because he knows from four centuries out, this is going to happen. And what did it say? This is a judgment. These are judgments. You see, this is, this is revealing the character of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's revealing things about people. I had a fascinating, at least I thought it was fascinating, thought in the last 24 hours, which is that I think it's possible. I may have even had this thought before. I'm not sure. But uh, that Pharaoh comes into this. Look at Pharaoh. I think he means evil and falsity. He's evil. You know, wow, is he self-centered? Basically, like, I am the country. As long as I'm still standing, doesn't matter if the whole thing is a ruin, a wasteland. At least I'm still here, you know. I am the country. Oh, you know, the first time he says, ouch, really, with any kind of volume, is when the first, when he loses his firstborn. That, that's, the, that's the first time he really feels it. There's this great cry and everything. Uh, so there's this ego, there's evil, and there's falsity, like he thinks he knows what's going on. He's full of falsity. He thinks he knows what's going on. He thinks he knows who the Egyptians are. He thinks he knows what the prudent thing is to do in this situation. Wrong, 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 right? He's just steadily wrong through the whole process. So what occurred to me was the possibility that at the beginning of this story, Pharaoh doesn't even know he's a bad person. I think it's possible that he feels like, I am a capable leader. I am well loved by my subjects. We have a peaceable thing going on here. Things are good. The Israelites are working for me. We've got this great building program going on. And uh, think, think, things, things are good. That's my annual report. And then the Lord comes in with Moses. And I think he finds out in a way that he cannot deny that he sees again and again. Oh, guess what? It compared with Moses, compared with the Lord. Wow, you're mercurial. You're unreliable. You don't know what's going on. You love dominance. You don't know the Lord. You don't love the Israelites. You don't value your own country. You don't value your own people, and you're stubborn about it. And the only thing you value is your firstborn, and that's going to be taken away. And you don't even know what's coming next. And he is unaware of all those things, and those things are revealed. It's a judgment, right? It's a judgment. He said that from the very beginning, I'm going to judge the nation that keeps you. And so this is a judgment. And it's hard to see. I know it's hard to see. But I see a mercy in there in the way that this is executed. The Lord makes many, 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 many concerted efforts to turn Pharaoh around. That's the only way I can understand the story. It's not that the children of Israel, 
Yes, their faith in, in the Lord is building, their faith in Moses, and, and they're deepening in all that, and it is strengthening them. It's true. But uh, it seems that the process is at least equally much about the Egyptians and about teaching them, so that by the end of the story, Moses is huge. They love Moses, you know? And they're helping, yes, take my jewelry. You people are better than we are, you know, kind of thing. Uh, there's an amazing thing that's happened here as the Lord, what does it say at the beginning? I'm coming down. The Lord's presence is going to increase and it's going to cause Pharaoh to realize who he is and what he's like and how stubborn he is about that. And the Lord want, bad, badly, badly wants him to turn it around. Now, what amazes me, so let's think about this a little more for just another couple of minutes if you have a little moment, good friends. Um, it amazes me the thought that uh, um, how the Lord does this is kind of astonishing to me. The, the rescue of the people with such love, and okay, it's easy to read the story as just he loves the Israelites. That's the story. Loves the Israelites, he gets them away from the Egyptians. But I think it's equally important that he loves Pharaoh, he loves the Egyptians, He's trying to turn them around. He's trying to bless them. You know, the way I would have done it, uh, okay, let's say, let's be nonviolent about it. Let's just all set our alarm, get up at midnight, sneak out of the country before they notice that we're gone. You know, why engage with them? I don't want to talk to Pharaoh. I have no interest in talking to Pharaoh. You know, the Lord wants to engage with Pharaoh. He wants to have this conversation with him. Let my people go. They're, you know, and just his saying, let my people go, admits by that command, they belong to you now. You know, he admits. He recognizes Pharaoh's power. You know, I recognize your power. You need to let these people go. I'm going to make that happen. And the Lord knows that he can rescue these people. He's not the least bit. Does the Lord sweat? Is he a little concerned about biting his nails and chewing his teeth at night because maybe this isn't going to work out? No, he's, he's, he's calm about the whole thing. He knows exactly how this is going to go down. And he is perfectly able to use his power and get those people out of that situation and do it in a way, in every possible way, to benefit Pharaoh and the Egyptians at the same time. I see the same thing when the Lord comes into the world. You might as well put Pharisee instead of Pharaoh over there. Starts with the same four letters. The Pharisees... The Lord is, you know, like, why not come here? Just get the good people out of town and go have a, you know, have a, have a festival, you know, have a retreat somewhere or something like that. No, he's going to dinner with the Pharisees and he sits down with the Sadducees and he's arguing with the scribes and, you know, he's engaging with the Sanhedrin and uh, he's talking to them because he's trying to turn them around. It's just amazing to me, but that's the nature of the Lord. So, for us as individuals, for our culture, in terms of uh, a way forward, how do we get from a condition of hell to a condition of heaven? I think this story gives us another clue here in what we've been looking at lately, which is when we make that decision, as for me and my house, uh, we will serve the Lord. You know, the whole thing is about serving the Lord. It's hammered again and again in what we read tonight. The whole thing is about serving the Lord. And I think you feel different about yourself uh, whatever your pharaoh is, there are all kinds of pharaohs come in all sizes and shapes. Uh, you know, it could be 
it could be revenge, it could be pride, it could be adultery or lust or killing or, or whatever, you know, deceit or something. Whatever addiction or whatever your Pharaoh is, uh, that's your first boss. A sad fact is that when you're so deep in the evil and falsity serving Pharaoh, you may honestly think that he is God. You know, I think we kind of do that. We don't even realize the difference between Pharaoh and the Lord. We don't know the Lord, and the only boss we know is Pharaoh. So we don't even know, oh, that's not the Lord. There's another God who's just, just far and away. It's not like, oh, this is a battle. It was tough, but eventually I pulled it out. No, the Lord is so in charge of this whole process and so powerful. There's no contest here. The Lord is doing exactly what he wants to do on the schedule and bringing the people out with a powerful hand. He knows exactly how this is going to be. He knows exactly how Pharaoh is going to react, and he just manages the whole process for the benefit of all to the greatest possible extent. The Lord cannot, in, in everybody's freedom, prevent Pharaoh from making this choice. The Red Sea that he ends up dying in means hell, means condemnation, the fact is, the Lord is good to people who are in hell, uh, but the Lord would prefer that we go to heaven. Uh, but he does everything in his power. What a picture of everything in his power. And really, the only time he, he basically, that when it goes badly for Pharaoh, when Pharaoh finally dies and his soldiers, is only when he attacks the children of Israel. That's the only thing he does wrong. Are the children of Israel harmed? No. Are they scared? Yes. What happens to Pharaoh and his armies? They all die. So the Lord's got them totally totally under control. Um, uh, so this is a much better option. And so we need to go through this, don't we, friends, to get to the point of realizing, oh, wait, you're not God, you're Pharaoh, and there is a God. And bit by bit, you start to realize, oh, wait, I think you're more powerful. I think you're a better deal than Pharaoh. I would rather follow you than follow Pharaoh. Actually, Pharaoh... I thought he loved me because I serve him. He doesn't care about me, as it turns out. But the Lord not only cares about me, he cares about Pharaoh. He cares about everybody in, in this situation. It's amazing. I want to end here. Uh, you don't have to go there if you don't want, but in the middle of the Psalms, there in the middle of your Bible, I want to go to Psalm 145, toward the end of the Psalms, actually. As this scripture came to mind to sum this up, I saw this in a different light. Psalm 145, verse 9. It's short and sweet. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. That's it. He's good to... Nobody else is like that. Nobody is good to everybody. It's, it's always you got enemies, or these are your friends, these are, oh, sorry, it didn't work out well for you, or just, oh, get out of my face, or whatever, you know. Only the Lord works in such a way that it's good for, he is good to all. And you see that in this story. You see him being good to all. So my conclusion, good friends, is that it is much better to serve the Lord than it is to serve Pharaoh. Let's close with a prayer. Thank you for your kind patience, good friends. I love those scriptures so much. Mm. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
Often from our earthly perspective, we don't realize necessarily that you have that power. We don't really realize who you are. We're serving something that we think is something good, but it might be some self-serving pleasure. And we don't even realize how messed up we are sometimes. We thank you, Lord, for coming in such a powerful way, so powerful, and yet in a way it's actually gentle. It's a gradual process leading us out and trying in every possible way to do it without doing damage to the Egyptians, wanting them to turn around, wanting them to know, wanting everyone to know that you are the Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we can tell who our real boss is. Mm -hmm.